senior pastor here at Grace Fellowship, and uh, we just believe that God is doing something in the world today, dealing with the monster that 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 mental health is. And uh, every one of you are a big part, a big part of the solution. And we believe in what Shauna is doing with seed digging. And uh, here at Grace Fellowship, we're embracing this. We're going to go through all of her training, and we want this to become a way of life for us. You know, it's. Uh, it's just such a huge thing, and so you being here is a big deal. You taking the time and the effort, and and even the effort to to learn how to actually become someone that can plant good seeds in in people's lives, children and adults. So, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, you saw there's bathrooms in the back. We're going to take a break every hour, so you will have a little break, and then we'll come back and get started again. And uh, we're so proud of Shauna and all that she's done. Thank we really are. She's a, a friend and a sister for us, and we, we love what she's doing here. So welcome, absorb, and uh, here you go, Shauna. Thank you, Alan. Okay. All right, so I'm good. All right, well, first of all, um, I just want to say how thankful I am to be here and to be a part of this. Um, I can tell you, Alan um, has been in my life for about 15 or 20 years, and really, I tell people, if there was a father of seed digging, it really is him. Um, he taught me the components, the powerful components behind seed digging that have lit- literally changed my life, um, healed my heart of severe mental health issues, depression, anxiety, eating disorders. And I basically just converted that into kids, and that's why we call it seed. Um, but really, I cannot tell you how much, how grateful I am for Alan and for this place. It really is my home. It's my place away from home. Um, I have spent many counseling sessions in that office right back there with Alan. Um, I always come, I always tell people at least once every three months, and sometimes I drive three hours to come weekly. Um, Because I I think in life, our our emotional, the way that we think, the way that we feel, I don't think it's a one-time thing. You know, it's like a garden outside. You don't just pull the weeds once, right? We're a growing, living organisms. And I want, at the end of my life, for my heart to be so healthy, you know, that I can see people through the eyes of love. And I think every time I get more healing inside of my heart, I mean, I just, I think the more I'm able to see others through that same lens of love. Um, So anyways, once again, I'm so grateful for this place. And I thank you guys for putting this on and for doing this. Um, I just can't say thank you enough. Um, But today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about suicide prevention. And I usually have people say, oh, that that doesn't apply to me. I don't don't have a teenager, you know, that's not really for me. Um, So I want to, I want to start by saying, when you see the word suicide prevention, really about 15 to 20 minutes of my training today is on what to do in that moment if you have a child or if you know someone who's battling suicidal thoughts. The rest of it is really prevention. You know, if you go out back and you see, um, you know, a big weed or a big thorn bush in your garden, you know, we don't have to wait till the thorn bush is full-blown grown, right? Let's start early. Let's start helping these these children and these um, these teenagers. Let's. What if we started when they were little, tiny toddlers and preschoolers? You know, let's begin to impact their hearts with happy seeds of love, so that they know who they are. You know, let's not wait until they're at that place to where they don't want to be here anymore. And so, but we, but we also know reality is we have several children and teenagers and adults who are at that place. 
So we also want to address that and what to do in that moment. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, the other thing I want to say is, uh, as I go through the training, it's very important to understand that some of the things I'm going to talk about are hard. You know, there's some tough stories that I'm going to share. And I want to make sure that I say, even though some of these stories are hard, we are all here together. We're not alone. You know, we'll walk through, the, through this together. And I also want to say that sometimes thoughts come to us. Um, the should-haves, I wish I would have, I, I wish I could have, I wish I did. You know, because in this day and time, probably everyone in this room has been affected by suicide, either professionally or in our personal lives. So when those thoughts of shame come, because they will, and they'll tell you, I should have, I wish I would have, make them step back. We don't listen to shame, okay? We're going to listen, we're going to be here together, and we're going to walk through this. I always say, as humans, we do the best that we can with what we have at the time. We cannot beat ourselves up for the past. As a mom, I can tell you I have sowed many sad seeds in the garden of my children's hearts, you know? I'm learning and growing too. Like I said, every time I go see Alan or every time I find a sad seed in my heart, it just, you know, more flowers can grow. And then I'm more positive towards my kids because I get my grumpy seeds out. You know what I mean? So remember that as we go through this training. We're all here together, and um, it's going to be okay, all right? Um, So to start off with, we're going to talk about um, the root causes of suicide. Now, when you study and when you do a lot of research on what are the root causes of suicide, there's so much information out there. And you'll see a lot of information that will say, you know, um, mental health issues are correlated to suicide. You know, some will say that's, that's the cause. Addictions. You will find that addictions are definitely correlated to suicide. Environmental stressors, biological factors, lack of connection. When we do not feel connected or when we feel disconnected from one another, that can also be a cause or uh, a correlation to suicide. And, of course, a history of physical trauma and abuse. We know that these things are connected to suicide. But I want to share with you what I have seen over the past at least 10 years. I've been doing counseling for about 15, but the deeper levels, the sea digging, um, I'm going to share with you what I consistently see at the root of everyone who struggles with suicidal thoughts or has had an attempt of suicide. And it's what I call emotional trauma. Now, a lot of times when, um, can I get a click? Sorry. Alan, is that you up there? You're kind of (laughs) slow. Thank you. (laughs) There we go. Okay. So, yeah, one more. One more click. There we go. So what I see at the core um, is emotional traumas. Now, I want to qualify that word because a lot of times when people hear the word trauma, they automatically go to abuse or neglect. But it's very important that you understand that trauma is subjective to the person who experiences it. So for a young child who loses his puppy dog or maybe watches a murder scene unfold on a TV or on a movie, that can be just as extreme. And a trauma seed can get formed in the heart or planted in the heart just as strongly as a grown man on the battlefield. You know, we can't compare that level of sadness for a little child who loses their best friend puppy dog. You know, we can't can't compare that. So for that child, that would be a trauma. So we have to remember, when I talk about trauma today, That word trauma really means experiencing a terrifying 
going through a terrifying experience or witnessing it, okay? So at the core, I see the, the lack of these seven and eight needs, and you'll hear me talk about this a lot. At the core of everyone who struggles with mental health, emotional issues, addictions, I see a, a person who does not know completely that they are loved, valued, needed, accepted, that they belong or have a purpose, that they're safe, or that they're secure. And when I say security, I mean that sense of hope. It's like being in a dark cave and really feeling like I'm never going to get out. I'm going to be in here forever. Security means I see a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe tiny, but I'm looking for the light. So children and adults, every one of us, we have to have these core innate needs in our heart. And when we don't have them, we can begin to see some pretty rough, tough behaviors, okay? So we'll, get a, we'll go into a little bit more with that here in a second. But I also want to take a second to talk about physical survival and emotional survival. Now, just like every human on the planet has to have food, water, oxygen, right? We have to have those things in our body on planet Earth to stay alive. When I do not have oxygen in my lungs and I'm trying to to get up on the top of the water at a, of a pool, right? I'm trying to stay afloat. I'm trying to get oxygen in my lungs because I'm drowning. I may pull everyone and everything down with me in an attempt to get oxygen in my lungs to survive. Am I bad for that? You see, we understand that in the physical world. Physically, we have to do that to survive. Your body says, fight, fight, stay alive, flight, whatever you have to do to stay alive. Well, did you know emotionally the same thing happens? When we do not have those innate needs in our heart, which is really food, water, and oxygen for your soul, when I do not know that I'm loved, I'm valued, I'm needed, I'm accepted, I belong, I'm safe or secure, I also go into fight, flight, or freeze survival mode. Let me show you how this plays out. So think about our teenage girls who may not feel loved, Maybe they have issues at home. Maybe they, their father abandoned them or they do not know the love of, of a father or of a parent. All of a sudden, their heart starts, starts longing for that because it's an innate need. You have to have that. And what do they do? She grabs on to a guy, right? And all of a sudden, it's a temporary fix, right? All of a sudden, I feel loved and valued. But what happens when he dumps her? She grabs on again, doesn't she? And then what does she do? She grabs on again and again and again and again. A Band-Aid that's being used to treat a deep infection in the arm. Very similar analogy, okay? So it's a temporary fix, but coping skills were not meant to be permanent. And in that situation, that, that boy, that guy is a coping skill for her. And when I get children and teens in counseling sessions, usually it's when they're out here. Now she's gone through 25, 30 men, and she feels less loved and more devalued than she ever did here. What about belonging or acceptance? Think about the crisis we're seeing with gangs. What happens when a teenager doesn't feel like they belong or that they have a family? What happens? I found a family. They make me feel like I belong, I finally found my family. And then what happens when they say, to stay in this family, you've got to steal, you've got to do these things. 
because we have to have this to survive. And those, are, those people over there are a threat. We have to now kill them. And that young man has a big dilemma in his heart. The deepest pain he has is that he doesn't feel like he belongs. So the thought of not having that family, that pain is greater than taking the life of someone he doesn't know. You see, that's what happens. That's what's happening with our children, with our teenagers, and our adults. When you're in emotional um, starvation mode, when you're in that place where you're not getting those needs met, you can really do some pretty bad things. And that's very important for us to understand. So when a person doesn't get these needs met, let me talk for a second about fight, flight, or freeze. Um, When a person's in fight mode, um, that's where we can begin to see coping mechanisms like, you know, hitting, punching, kicking, right, throwing tantrums. Um, Coping skills can also be, you know, drugs and alcohol. You know, coping skills can be getting lost in a book, reading a book for 10 hours on end. Well, that sounds great. They're growing in knowledge. Well, yes, but why are we not visiting with other kids on the playground and we stay lost in a book 10 hours a day? See, coping skills are anything that minimize pain. I always, um, I, I like to use this example of an infection in the arm. If you have a big infection in your arm and it hurts and it's festering, we can slap a Band-Aid on there and take some Tylenol, right? It's going to work maybe for a little bit, take the pain away. But what happens if that infection gets in your bloodstream? Now we've got a serious problem. And as a part of the mental health world for the last 15 years, I think we've done the best that we could. But I think what we're seeing is this crisis with suicide, which is the second leading cause of death in our state for children, um, middle school and high school students. I think it's because we've kept bandaging symptoms. We didn't know. But with new information, right, with deeper therapy models that are, that are out there, we've got to look deeper to treat these kids and help these kids heal. Because now we have an infection in our kids' lives, and we've got to do something. So once again, coping me- mechanisms are meant to be temporary, not permanent. I always say in my mental health journey, I'm thankful for the medications I took as a, as a teenager. They probably kept me alive. But I didn't want to stay with the Band-Aid. I wanted healing. I wanted to feel better. I wanted, I wanted to know that there was more to life than living with mental health issues and depression and sadness. And I'm telling you, I'm living proof there is more. There is more. But you have to begin to see it. You have to begin to get a glimpse of it, of the light at the end of the tunnel. Because if we walk around thinking all day long that there's nothing more, then we're hopeless. And hopeless is not a good place to be. Okay, Um, I want to talk for a second, too, about addictions, because I want to show you how addictions work. So um, really what happens with an addiction is when a person is in a very emotional, heightened state, right, they're going to grab at whatever they they can do to minimize that pain. Just like if a person's in a pool of water and they're drowning, if they find the side of the pool, guess what they're probably going to grab a hold of the next time they're around water? (laughs) The side of the pool, right? So think about um, when, with drugs and alcohol. In the beginning, you know, I may take a few drinks because I'm frustrated, I'm sad. And then the next time I'm frustrated or sad, I do it again. And then the next time I do it, and it might be because I'm just bored. And then it becomes to be something we self-medicate with every 
every emotion. So I tell people, people, be careful what you dabble in, right? Anything can be a coping skill. Food is a very common, easy coping skill, right? In Arkansas, what do we do? We eat for every emotion. Weddings, funerals, right? We eat. That's what we do. My, my mom's an amazing cook. I like food. Food can be a very easy addiction. And then we're just bored, and all of a sudden we're eating because we're bored. Do you see what I'm saying? We can't judge someone who has an alcohol or drug addiction <laughs> because food is just can do the same things. It may take you longer before it hurts you physically, right? But if you cope with food long-term, it's not a good thing, okay? I also tell my teenage girls who I work with um, to be careful what they dabble in because sometimes, have you seen the cutting fad where they'll cut, you know, because my friends are cutting, I'll just cut a little bit. Well, the next time I'm angry at somebody, I'm going to cut a little bit deeper. And the next time I'm angry, it gets deeper. You see, coping skills stop working. You eventually need more and more or a new kind or a new kind, kind of like medication with our little, our little uh, children and our teenagers, higher doses of ADHD medication, higher doses of antidepressants, higher doses, and then what do we do when that stops working? Put them on a new kind, increase the dose. Have you ever seen that before? You see, if it's a true coping skill, it will stop working. That's how, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's a hard reality, but it's also a way to say the pain's there. <laughs> Deal with it. You don't have to keep slapping Band-Aids on. Get that splinter out, okay? So that's how that works. Um, so once again, staying in survival mode too long can cause addictions. Emotions will affect behaviors, and we can become, have health, unhealthy attachments, um, be dependent on substance abuses, uh, substance abuse, and there's all kinds of things that can happen. So what do we do? What do we do when we have these issues? When people are in survival mode, when children and teenagers are in survival mode, what do we do? We have to help them feel their emotional tank. We have to sow those seeds of love into their heart. It's just like if you have a child on the street that hasn't eaten in days, what are you going to do? We're going to feed them, right? We're going to take care of them. But emotionally, the same thing happens, but many times our eyes aren't trained to see that. We see the behavior problems. We see the screaming and yelling, the disrespect. We forget that there's a reason for those behaviors. I'm telling you, there really is a reason for every behavior. So we want to pay attention to that. So I'm going to talk for a second about what I call the garden analogy. And this, this is um, some of the basic concepts behind the seed digging counseling model. So one of the things I do when I sit down with students and adults, um, children and adults, I talk about the garden of their heart. I really believe in the mental health world we've overcomplicated things. And I can speak to that because I've been a mental health counselor for 15 years. You know, we learn as we, go, as we grow too. But I don't think it has to be rocket science. I think when we understand this thing, and when young children begin to understand this, I think that makes all the difference in the world. So imagine for a second that you all have beautiful gardens in your heart, okay, where weeds and flowers grow, just like a garden outside. And those weeds and flowers represent behaviors, those things that you do that either bring joy, life, and happiness, or those behaviors that cause problems for you and for others. Okay? The weeds would be the, the ones that cause problems. The flowers would be those behaviors, those things you, that you do that bring joy. And the weeds and flowers all start from tiny seeds that get planted 
when we believe things to be true or false about our lives. When we believe positive, good things about our lives, happy seeds get planted. Just like what Maslow said, which really the seven and eight needs is tied into Maslow and Rogers, for those of you who are researchers. The seven and eight needs, those core seeds, okay, think about this. When I believed I'm loved, when I believe I'm important and I have a purpose, how do I feel? Happy, right? That creates, as the seed gets planted, it starts growing, I feel those positive emotions. And when I feel positive emotions, what do I do? I want to help others. I want to do things, right? But when I believe negative things about myself, when I believe that I'm bad, that no one loves me, that I'm not good enough, that I'm worthless, sad seeds get planted as well. When that sad seed gets planted, what happens when I believe those things about myself? How do I feel? Think about the seed and the stem, right? Here's the stem. When I feel that no one loves me and that I'm a piece of junk, how do I feel? I feel bad, sad, depressed. No one cares. When I feel that way, what's the next step? How do I act? I can tell you times in my life when I felt that way. You may may not want to know how I acted. (laughs) But I can tell you when human beings feel that they're not loved and they feel sad and depressed and angry, what's the outcomes? See, the core of every one of us in this room, just like every child, every teenager, there are seeds. The garden's beautiful. The garden is exactly how it's supposed to be made. But when you feel those things, the depression, the anxiety, the anger, you just have to go digging. You have to figure out what's the core. What are you believing? And I'm going to tell you every time I I go back to, those sad seeds are tied into those seven and eight needs. Every time. Every single time. Okay? So now let me take this one step further so you can begin to see this in a more practical form. So think about a child that gets told that he's stupid at home. He believes he's stupid. Because he, so that he believes he's stupid, his, his um, parent tells him he's stupid, the sad seed gets planted. And then he goes to school. And he's in class, and the teacher is asking questions, and he raises his hand because he thinks he knows the answer, but he gets it wrong. And all the kids laugh at him. What do you think just happened to that sad seed? It's getting watered isn't it? Now he's starting to believe he really is stupid. Fast forward to the end of the school year, that same little boy's in class, and the teacher is telling all the students, listen, it's very important that you ask questions, because some of you are teetering on that line of passing and failing this class. It's important that you ask questions. Um, And this test is a big deal, as they're reviewing. And the little boy wants to raise his hand, but he doesn't raise his hand. Why doesn't he raise his hand? already believes he's stupid. He doesn't want to feel that pain. So he keeps his hands down. That was one weed that was just produced from that sad seed. Another weed that will be produced is he's more than likely going to fail that test, right? And number three, he's probably going to fail that grade if he's that far behind and he was teetering on the line of passing and failing. You know, but before I became a counselor, I was a school teacher and I taught special education. And I wish I would have known than what I know now. Because I had juniors and seniors who were brilliant when it came to science and technology. I'm just, you know, just brilliant. But they read on second and third grade levels. And I think about, if I have teachers in here, educators, you know, you see that with your, with your younger kids, that gap score, you know? All of a sudden, 
they're doing okay, and now their peers are soaring. And there's this huge gap, gap in their level academically and their peers. Trauma seeds can account for a lot of that. And I can speak to it because now the past several years of doing counseling, I see that all the time. I see the stupid seed, you know, the belief that I'm stupid. It happens way more than we realize. Now, that young man is also going to be more likely to get involved in drugs and alcohol when he's a teenager because we know that statistics tell us that children with a poor self-esteem are more likely to get involved with addictions. He has such a need to belong that he'll do whatever it takes. Remember the story of the gang? That happens all the time. And I probably don't have to tell you what happens to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. We have to stop that. And guys, we can. I believe it with all of my heart. I think we're in a movement uh, across our nation. I think we're at rock bottom with mental health. We really are. And when you're at rock bottom, sometimes that's the only time that people begin to look up <laughs> and seek for help. So I think we're in a movement. I think we're starting to see some really positive things in, in, the, the, our, in the United States. We're not there yet, <laughs> but every time you and I understand this and we get it, others will begin to get it. So now, there's happy news. We don't have to stay in that hard place, okay? You guys ready for the happy news? Ready for the exciting news? <laughs> so the opposite is also true. Think about a little girl that gets told she's smart at home. And she believes she's smart. What, what kind of seed gets planted? Happy seed gets planted. She goes to school, and all of a sudden she's in class, and the teacher asks a question, and she raises her little hand, but she gets it wrong, and all the kids laugh at her. She doesn't care. She keeps raising her little hand. Have you ever seen that before? <laughs> she wants to answer because she knows who she is. She's got that need met. She doesn't care what they think. Flowers will be produced from those happy seeds. She will grow in knowledge. She will pass that test. She will pass that grade. Scholarships and keep going. Um, uh, Maslow talks about this hierarchy of needs. Um, some of you may be familiar with that. And he basically talks about level four. If you think of a pyramid, level four is a positive self-esteem. And all of these things down here are like physical needs, basic needs. Um, there's, there's different things down here that humans have to have. But he says if we can help a child or a person get to level four of a positive self-esteem, that's when they will learn, grow, and thrive at their greatest potential. And, you know, it sounds, oh, that sounds easy. Sure. I'm telling you, it's true. When I do counseling sessions, I used to get so fixated on the, the extreme traumas, the hallucinations, all of these things that these children and these teenagers were battling. Until I changed my eyes and stepped back and realized there is nothing wrong with this child. They have a beautiful heart and a beautiful garden. They just have weeds. That'll mess with you when you're used to going into sessions thinking you're just going to keep kids in survival mode because that's all you know to do, right? But when your eyes begin to change and you begin to see their heart, you begin to realize that when, when I see that child's heart, it changes the way I respond to them. And when I start treating them differently, what happens next? They begin to feel it and they begin to see it. And they start climbing Maslow's hierarchy. They get it. I am valuable. I am loved. I have a purpose. That's right, you do. And when I get them to that place, guess what? That's when the weeds start falling off. But we have to change our eyes. 
Once again, we get so fixated up here, and it scares us. As mental health therapists, I do a lot of trainings with mental health therapists, and it scares us. I was there once. <laughs> used to scare me to death. I didn't know what to do. I loved that person in front of me, but I didn't know how to help them. Let's just get you to the doctor and get you more medication, you know? But when your eyes change, the way you respond changes, which affects them. And then they begin to respond differently, okay? So that's how the garden scenario works. Another thing I want to mention is that little girl is also going to be less likely to do drugs and alcohol, right? Because she has the positive seeds in her heart, less likely to get involved in addictions. So we're going to start off, we're going to talk about three scenarios, three real live scenarios. We've changed a little bit of the information up just to protect confidentiality, um, but three scenarios of students, of children, who had seeds um, in their heart. And I'm going to show you how it all ties into those seven and eight needs. So if everybody would grab the little activity, we're going to do step one on our little activity. And... When you do this, please don't work ahead. It's more powerful if you'll just do it along with me. Um, So I want you to begin by choosing a fictitious child, okay? Now, you probably know who you're going to choose, but when you write the name down, if you want to write the name down, you're welcome to do that. I want you to think about, if you're a teacher, if you're a mental health counselor, I want you to think about that one student that just drove you crazy, Maybe that was constantly in trouble, disrespectful, defiant. Maybe just really was a hard, a hard child. Parents, you may have one of those. And it's okay. Once again, we don't let shame enter <laughs> because we're going to learn what's going on behind the scenes. But I want you to think about one, one child maybe in your life who you've known who's really struggled. And I want you to go to number three, the little stick figure or page three. And on line number one, I want you to think about that student, and I want you to think about the weeds that they had, okay? Remember, weeds are their behaviors. What weeds did that child have? And here's some examples. Yelling, manipulation, aggression, bullies, impulsive, drama queen, anxious, defiant, threatens others, self-harm, withdraws, Argumentative, drugs and alcohol, bullied, was, has been bullied often, curses, cries easily, lies, seeks attention, hyper, doesn't do homework, doesn't come to school, hits others, whines often, steals, has tantrums, and cuts. And you may also think of other behaviors that that person has, okay? So I just want to take a minute, and if you don't mind... Go to number one on the stick figure and just write down how, how do they respond? What weeds does that child have or what behaviors? I still see Alan back there going awful slow, so we'll just wait another minute or two. <laughs> All righty. <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to come back to this. So if you don't mind... Turn this upside down so you don't cheat and move ahead, and then we'll come back to it. And as we go along, I want you to begin to break this down, because I think when you see this, 
and you begin to apply it, it'll make so much sense. Um, so that, that's what we'll do. All right, so I'm going to share three scenarios with you of, once the, uh, of three children from totally different walks of life. Similar in some ways, but different walks of life. And once again, I want to show you how those seeds affect everyone. So this young man is a 13-year-old male. Um, he had explosive outbursts. He was defiant, was trouble, in trouble all of the time. He would threaten others. He would terrorize the younger kids. I mean, it was as if he was at school just to be mean. Literally would just terrorize them. Um, he had failing grades, wouldn't listen to the teachers, didn't do what they wanted him to, needed him to do. And he was also using drugs. Big, big chip on his shoulder. So now you don't have to raise your hand. Once again, there's no shame. But I want us to begin to get in tune with what our perceptions are. How many of us would look at this young man and say, that's just a bad kid. <laughs> that's a rotten kid. I mean, really, come on. If there's a bad kid in this world, that kid is mean. It's easy to do that. One of the things I want to do in this training is begin to take those lenses down just a little bit. Because when you stop and you look behind the scenes and you understand that there's a reason there's always a reason for a behavior. Then you begin to see that child differently. So let's talk about what went on behind the scenes with this young man. This young man actually started out life as a tiny baby, was a happy baby, but his mom had a lot of weeds in her garden, and she had a lot of relationships. And this little boy loved his mama so, so much. He had so much love in his heart for his mom. But one day he came home from school and he watched his dad um, beating his mom. And as he saw his dad hurting his mom, hitting his mom, he ran and he jumped on, her, on his back to try to get him off, to leave her alone. He tried to protect his mom and he got thrown off to the ground. He began to get angry. Well, day after day, this continued to happen. Talk about trauma seeds. He began to witness it over and over. Till one day he came home and he was prepared. He got on his dad's back and he just started beating. And his dad threw him down and then beat him up. And that little boy had a big seed planted in his heart that he was a failure. He was worthless. He couldn't even protect his own mother. What kind of a failure is he? You guys, that happens all the time. Way more than we realize. So that seed got planted deep in his heart, and he went to school. Now, I want to show you how, once again, this begins to play out. That little boy, all that anger and hate towards his stepdad began to come out. We are really like a boiling pot of water. If we don't get the lid off, it's going to come out one way or the other. And we're going to talk about, towards the end of the training, what you can do to help these students get this out in a healthy way. But he would go to school, and all that hate and anger he would take out on everyone around him. And I always tell students this. I always tell them, listen, it's so important that you see this. Because I understood, I understand why you had hate and anger in your heart. In the beginning, it kind of operates like an armor. Anger does, right? I'm strong. I don't have to put up with this. But it will always take double. You know, that's like a coping skill, too. And I also tell kids, Right now, you see through the lens of hate towards your stepdad, 
But like a bad addiction, guess what's going to happen? You begin to see others through that same lens. And now I hate everyone. You see, that little boy was not a bad little boy. He had trauma seeds in his heart. And he was trying to communicate that to us through his behaviors. Now, I believe in behavior and discipline and consistency. That's huge and that's important. But we're going to talk about later how to do that. Because we have to address the garden. We have to address the behaviors, not the garden. So I want to show you another thing. That little boy, because of that hate, he became just like who? His dad, his abuser. Isn't that interesting? When you judge, judgment will do that. It's interesting how it works, but I see that all the time. At the root of judgment, judging someone else or judging yourself will also have negative outcomes. That little boy, good news is, he's actually doing well. He changed his lens. He got those negative sad seeds out, went back to those traumas, and realized he was just a little boy and that he was loved and it wasn't his fault. Um, Dr. Caroline Leaf has excellent research uh, or um, information on this. For those of you who want to research her, she talks about how seeds get planted in the brain and how it looks like little pathways, right? And um, the, the behaviors, it's like little pathways that are created. And so when a negative seed gets out, it gets pulled, and a positive belief or seed gets planted, guess what happens? New pathways are created. We get the thorn bush out. It stops growing. We can use coping skills to chop the thorn bush in half, can't we? Sometimes we need medication. Sometimes we need deep breathing. Sometimes we need coping skills to help these kids survive. But if we just keep treating the deep infection with a Band-Aid, what's going to happen? What is happening right now in the United States? We've seen shootings, school shootings at an all-time high. We have to get the infections out. We can't keep bandaging. But this young man changed the distortion in his mind, and um, he's actually doing very, very, very well, and is married and has kids, okay? And he stopped the generational cycle from his children. And it can be done. And sometimes the first step is just saying, I need help. I don't know how. (laughs) to get better, but I need help, and you can get help, all right? Let me share with you story number two. Um, This young lady, 14 years old, she's the drama queen. Have you ever seen a drama queen before? (laughs) This young lady was constantly doing things to get attention. In class, she was constantly trying to get everybody to pay attention to her. She also would stir the pot. Have you ever seen that before? She would turn this girl against this girl against this girl. Turn people against each other. She was angry often. She would make threats of suicide. She would go in and out of psych hospitals. She was a cutter. She'd cut, she'd pop pills, and she'd sneak out at night. Constantly sneaking out at night. Now, once again, I want you to think and ask yourself, is she doing this just for attention. How many times have we heard that? She just wants attention. The truth is, she really does. But maybe not in the way we're thinking. Um, The Jason Foundation, Clark Flatt, wonderful, wonderful um, speaker, wonderful, wonderful human. Basically, his son committed suicide, and he has devoted his life to helping save lives. And he says that a myth with suicide is that it's just for attention. 
when these kids are just, you know, they're just doing it for attention. He says the same thing. They are doing it for attention. You just need to know what's going on behind the scenes. It's different than what you're thinking. So let's go on behind the scenes with this young lady. You see, this girl was raised in foster care. She started life, once again, as an innocent, tiny little baby. And her parents had lots and lots of weeds. And they couldn't raise her. They were on drugs uh, and alcohol. And so they had to give her up um, when she was little. And so she spent years and years and years in the system of foster care, from one home to another home to another home. And I, the pain from that was just wrenching, heart-wrenching. And she remembered this time when she, was, um, when she was real little, and she would watch the biological parents hold their own, ch- or th- their own children. And that's what she wanted more than anything. And so she decided, if my parents gave me up for adoption, I'm not lovable. There's nothing good in me. The seed got planted. You see how that's one of Maslow's innate needs, right? I'm not lovable. Now watch how that began to play out. So because her deepest hurts was that she wasn't loved, she always feared of being alone. So, of course, that's why she would turn this girl against this girl against this girl, right? They'd hate each other, but at least they'll love me. Those little budding personality disorders we see in teenagers. She was a cutter to try to eliminate the pain. Sometimes these, these children just don't know how to get it out. It's like a symbolic act of trying to. And sometimes they're so numb from the pain that they don't feel, so they're trying to feel. There's lots of reasons that, that children cut. Um, she popped pills. Why? To numb the pain, to fit in. And she'd sneak out at night. Remember the story of the young lady who was constantly seeking love in the wrong places? You see, once again, when those seeds deep, deep, deep in our heart or those needs are not met, our behaviors can be pretty ugly. Nothing wrong with this young lady. She's a good girl. She had lots and lots of seeds. She's also a success story, and she's doing well to this day. Doesn't mean that her garden doesn't need to be tended to. But when she changed her eyes and began to love and value herself, guess what happened? The feelings changed, and therefore the behaviors changed. Okay? One last story, and then we're going to take a break, let y'all get up and and move around. This is the the last story. This is about um, a teenager, 17-year-old female, who, from the outside looking in, really had everything that you could want as a teenager. Um... Nice car, nice clothes, good family, you know, um, good grades. But for some reason, she was never happy. She was depressed. She was sad all the time. Nothing was good enough. Now, I do a lot of student assemblies and in the state, and it's interesting. I, I do these three stories with all the students, and I'll ask them, now, how many of you, let's think about this, how many of you, think this girl is just spoiled. I mean, come on. She doesn't have the problems of kid number one and two, right? Come on. They, they, they get, I get it now why they do the things they do. But this girl, she just spoiled. And it's so funny, almost every hand goes up. So I want to ask you guys the same thing. How many of us, how many of you would see the same scenario in life and just automatically judge and assume that? I want you to look around the room. It's 
to the left, to the right of you, just look around. And I want you all to remember something. If you remember anything I say today, remember this, okay? Never, ever, ever judge a book by its covers, a garden by its weeds. You can, we just cannot judge. So behind the scenes, this young lady was abused when she was little. At three years old, happened many, many, many times. Family didn't know about it. Parents didn't know about it. And like abusers do, told her it was all her fault. She was a bad girl. That's very typical. So, of course, she believed she wasn't good enough. She was worthless, right? Maslow, those seeds were in there, all of those seeds, probably several of them. As a result, um, she was depressed. She was anxious, um, had eating disorders, suicidal as a teenager, didn't want to be alive. And um, some of you in this room, probably many of you, I've, I've shared this before, that is actually my story. Some of you may not know that. I was that little girl. I was the one that from the outside looking in, you'd never know. Because I put a smile on my face. My parents were school teachers. I sat on the front row and had a smile on my face and did what the teachers told me to do. <laughs> because I didn't want anybody to see and I didn't want anybody to hurt. It was my pain. You know, perfectionism is also highly correlated with suicide. Highly correlated with suicide. And it happens way more than we realize. So from each of those stories, can you see how it really doesn't matter what walk of life you come from? If we do not have those innate needs met, and we do not know who we really are, and how loved and valuable, and how needed we are on this earth, when we don't understand those things, some really really bad and hard things can happen. And so my story um, goes on. Um, I became a teacher, a mental health counselor, um, and that's really kind of the start of where seed digging started. It was my, my journey, my story, and I found something new, a different type of counseling with Alan when I was 25 years old that literally changed my life, absolutely changed my life. And the key was that I began to see myself through the eyes of love. I began to realize that I wasn't a piece of junk. And that was the key to changing everything. And I'm still a work in progress. Like I said, I still have, I still am in that office a lot. But I'll tell you what, I love and long for those sessions. Because the more clear my garden gets, the more clear, clearly I can see everybody else. Mental health is something for all of us. We all have mental health. I just want more love and joy to fill my garden than the pain and the hurts. So um, we're going to stop there. We're going to take a break, let you guys move around. Once again, the restrooms are back there, and then, and then there's refreshments. So we'll take about a 10-minute break. If you don't care, come back about 10 after, and we'll start back up. <laughs>